Hey, it's time for another episode of the Terrebonne Church's United Food Bank Podcast. I'm your host, Spud McConnell. At TCU Food Bank, we're taking care of you. Everybody's got to eat. Nobody should go hungry. And that's our motto here. So let's find out what's cooking at the TCU Food Bank while we're taking care of you. Okay, so uh, we're talking to uh, Natalie Waters, who works around the water, by the way. She works in the estuary over there. Barataria, Barataria Terrebonne National Estuary Program. Why aren't you just, well, first off, hi Natalie, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. You know who is here with us is, uh, is my pal Cheryl Skinner, who uh, pretty much everybody in here is afraid of because she, <laughs> she could probably take us, you know, because I'm old. Uh, well, first off, why, what is the Barataria Terrebonne National Estuary Program and, and, and what bureaucrat came up with that? <laughs> well, it's, it's a federal program. We're under the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, and we're one of 28 national estuary programs. And so an estuary is where basically I was gonna ask that. the salt water <laughs> and the, the fresh water meet. And so our estuary is between the Mississippi and the Atchafalaya rivers. So all the way across. Yeah, the between the Mississippi and the Atchafalaya. It's a it's the biggest estuary program I think in the <laughs> nation. So we got. So you got like an airboat and you got to run all up and down, <laughs> yeah. Lincoln Bolt of the Everglades, that dude. So I mean, but really, I mean, that's much how much territory you how many people you got under you covering all that territory? Oh, uh, there's we only have about an office of around twelve people. So. Um, yeah. So I can go out there and do all kinds of crap. You'll oh. never know. It. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. let me just start by saying, quit throwing your crap in the water. Thank you. You know, if you're gonna, if 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 I see milk jugs floating out there, it should be because they are floats for a trot line. Other than that, don't throw your crap. Your tires don't go in there. Crabs mm -hmm. don't like living in tires. Exactly. You know, maybe electric eels, but that's you know because they got <laughs> they like the rubber. You know. Um, but you and Cheryl team up because uh, y'all teach people gardening and things like that. And I never even heard of the uh, the uh, pollinator garden thing, which makes it should make a lot of sense. I grew up in the country. We had like a big garden, 100 feet by 100 feet, you know, but we didn't have a pollinator garden. We just had plants exactly yeah well yeah. so what's the i mean too much ddt no more bees or things like that yeah so pesticide use is a, a big contributor of their decline and generally habitat loss so um basically the more people we have in the world the more we're converting to residential areas or big cities and they're just losing habitat so mm -hmm. Um, we need to think up ways to incorporate them back into our own natural areas, including urban and resident residential areas, and especially within our vegetable gardens. And that's where Cheryl and I got together. Yeah, because y'all promote uh, urban gardening. Yes. Was it, but, I mean, does urban gardening do any better? Other than being able to eat it, and I'm a pig, I like to eat. But is urban gardening better than just growing a lawn or just planting some trees or? Definitely, because our, basically um, our our lawns are ecological deserts. You know, we just have grass, um, and so when you start incorporating um, 
pollinator habitat with these flowering plants, you'd be surprised the little amount of area. We've got our gardens around, you know, 17 by 15 feet, and we've seen so much activity just in that, that small area. And especially if you're interested in, in vegetable gardening, you're going to get even higher yields because those pollinators will obviously go to those, those fruit and vegetable plants as well. Well, I'll tell you the problem we're having at my house. Well, number one, I have a 300 year old oak tree the trunk of which is almost as big as this room which overhangs my house and then i got uh crepe myrtles all across the back so i don't even have a lot of sun and like off the side of my house and that's it uh my merlotone is doing pretty good uh i got a camilla plants that are doing well my cucumbers are but they're growing in buckets and things like that but the biggest problem we're having is these uh borers that come just when things start getting up there so I just had to throw away two zucchini plants that borers had gotten into. And it's like, we're, we're, we're like cover the bottom of it with tin foil or something like that, but that wasn't working. Uh, Supposedly that is something that helps deter them, but I have yet to see it. Well, maybe I'll use some paint. You use some tempera paint? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What, what would that do to the stem of a plant? If I just, you know, some water-based paint, that, I don't know. I mean, I could I could spray it with Raid. I can camp out out there with a little slingshot and shoot at them. <laughs> I guess I mean, is well, it ladybugs the, the best thing to use or what? The problem with those borers, you have to find the female moth that's actually laying them, and she is very hard to find. She's um she's red and black. I know that because I happened to find one one day and had to figure out what it was because I wasn't sure, but I found out that's what it was. But if you can control her, you've got it made. The problem is finding her. She's very elusive. But once she injects those eggs into the, the stem it. itself, well, it's just you a matter of time. So I mean, I gotta hang out there every day. What kind of, what kind of, can I use a spray? Is that? I mean, are we in the vicious cycle of me spraying these things to kill the bugs, and then I'm killing the bugs and actually, you're, you know, you're in the vicious cycle because the egg grows inside of the stem. You know, it gets in there. The larva hatches, so your little worm is in there eating. You can. No, spray but I'm that. talking about spraying it before. Like as soon as I plant them spray and spray you, every you time can, it rains you can do that however it's not good for the pollinators so it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a it's yeah a it's a vicious it's a vicious yes. cycle exactly. so where's and so is ladybugs the answer there now um no they mainly control our aphids that's the main thing that ladybugs help control um is our aphids um so this moth is just like you can you know, go and you can check the stems and cut you can kind of split open part of the stem right and get the the, the right you can actually do that if you see one of your you know if you go to your plant the plant still looks beautiful but if you look at the stem and it looks disfigured you can actually take a sharp knife or a scalpel slice it open a little bit and you'll find a worm in there pluck the worm out it's just gonna it. be one worm just one worm. And you could go ahead and, oh, and tape use, it back up. You could use scotch tape and tape it back up, yes. Yeah. I personally use um, black electrical tape for all of my plants when they have issues like that, but it will help. Some people actually inject alcohol into it to try and kill the Well, that's not itself, good for the plant. Right. That's why, yeah. you know, use a little Because I know I've, I've gotten drunk and fallen down in more, <laughs> more than one bush in my <laughs> life. <laughs> Oh, those crazy college years. I swear. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to try that because we've lost, you know, I mean, during COVID, oh, let's go garden. We found all kinds of stuff. We, I mean, we'll grow our own food. Mm -hmm. And they got to a certain point, and all of a sudden, they just started dying. But when you make your slit go up up and down, don't go across. Well, no. You, you'll kill you'll the plant. You'll kill the plant. Exactly. But yeah. Well, because I, I see people, you know, now they're doing this. You see these YouTube channels, and you see people like 
you know, cutting off a tree and then cutting notches like four around and sticking stems in it. And next mm -hmm. thing you know, you got this gum tree that is now like a pear tree with four yeah. big things. And going, how in the hell does that work? <laughs> you know, why aren't the borers going after that? Exactly. Um, so I'm going to try that. Try it. I'm gonna, it, I'm gonna, it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yes. send this thing to Maureen. Well, that's just it. I mean, we, it. we lost two zucchini plants, and she, she's been spraying this fish head stuff too. That stinks, but boy, they love it. Yeah. The plants love it. That's mm -hmm. what's really making them go, and that's why she was wondering why these two zucchini plants. That the other one didn't. The other one's doing okay. But so now I know what to look for. When it starts being disfigured. It looks like a little white grub. And it's all the way at the bottom or anywhere up or just where it's disfigured? Or? I would go right where the disfigured stops. You know, you, you plant, you have your stem. The, you're going to have all this, you know, yucky area from where it's been eaten. And I would go like right above it, right where it ends. And I would just do a little slit right slit there and right see where it's down. at. Okay. Yeah. You could also use, I've, I've read about um, planting like trap plants. Mm -hmm. So there's a... Do you remember, Cheryl, there's a certain uh, cucurbit that they go after even more than others. I'd have to look it up again. But if you plant those to make them go after that one. I've only they're... seen it really bad on zucchini. Yeah. So and now this is all the way at the bottom. Yes. Well, Where because, it meets the dirt. Yes. Well, because my wife went and got some netting stuff to keep birds off of it. And it's pretty, I mean, how big is this moth? She's about like that, about oh, an inch. Oh, you see? Now, that's, that's... I mean, not everybody. It's about an inch. About an inch? Well, yeah. I mean, the netting that she has, the moth wouldn't be able to get through this. As long as it goes all the way to the ground. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, all the way to the ground. Mm -hmm. Okay. But once, I mean, I could open it up and, and let the stem grow out of it, it's not going to go there. It's going after the, right at the dirt. Yes. yes. Okay. She always lays towards the dirt. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to try that. <laughs> That ain't what we brought you in here to talk about, <laughs> though. We brought you in here to talk about the pollinator gardens and how people should know more about that, but also want to talk more about the estuary stuff, too. Mm -hmm. You know, because, again, what do you... Y'all have like a plane y'all get to patrol around in, or you just rely we on people? <laughs> I wish we had that, but no, we um we have a what's called a management conference. So we have a lot of different stakeholders that we partner with, um, mm -hmm. ranging from CPRA to U.S. Fish and Wildlife to uh, all sorts of different partners. Um, we have our own projects, but then we do a lot of partnership projects as well because, like, well, there ain't with twelve of you. There's like only said, twelve, exactly. Yeah. You know, we can only the powerless <laughs> feds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, maybe if you were closer to Washington and get yeah. some more, more dirt on people, you'd probably get more stuff done. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning more and more. It's like you know what? The more skeletons you know about, the more money you get. So go find some skeletons. You know, when we come back here, uh, talking to Natalie Waters and Cheryl Skinner about the about. And this bit nap is the shortness of it. Uh, but we're going to talk some more about, about pollinator gardens for your gardens, but also talk about the estuaries themselves and what are some of the plans to bring some of that stuff back, or at least stop it from washing away like that Randy Newman song. All right, Spud here, your friend and neighbor. Back more right after this. Spud here, the scary fast folks at ABC Title have returned to St. Charles Parish. They at 100 Melanie Street in Boutique, just down from the hardware store. Get all your car title business taken care of scary fast. Go to abctitle.com for directions and more. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound too good. You better start filling sandbags. Oh, wait, you don't have to do that anymore because you have the home team advantage. You called Home Team Elevation at 504-301-1222 and you got your home lifted above the flood. No more worries for you. What about your mama's house or your uncles or your brothers? Home Team is ready to lift their spirits even higher than your home. Get the Home Team Advantage by calling 504-301-1222 or go to hometeamelevation.com. 
Fudd here. Did you know ABC Title's been around 30 years? 30 years! And those 30 years went by scary fast. And now with seven locations, they're even scarier and faster. Everything from license plates to a notary public. Plus, as if they weren't scary fast enough, you can go online at abctitle.com, start the ball rolling before you even get there. Get road ready in record time with your scary fast DMV service company, ABC Title. Go to abctitle.com for online service and the location nearest you. Okay, we're back with Natalie Waters and Cheryl Skinner. Natalie of the uh, of BitNep. By Barataria Terrebonne, I wrote it down right here. Barataria Terrebonne <laughs> National Estuary Program. And where'd that name come from? Um, it's Why named, isn't it just the National Estuary Program? Because it's named after the two basins. Well, then, so the other ones, other, the other, ter whatever you call it. They're like the uh, Ohio River estuary <laughs> or wherever they are. Yeah, it depends on where they are. Well, where, where are they? Well, give me another. Well, we have a uh, we have um, some in Texas, like Coastal Bends and Bays is in Texas. Coastal Bends and Bays <laughs> National Estuary Project. That's even a longer, stranger uh -huh. name than the one you got. Yep, the longer it is, the better. You know, the better. The it more is. money, yeah. I guess. Uh, it's going to be Texas. Believe me, I know all about us. <laughs> well, we bought you. Yeah, sorry, you're going to have to run a pig through all them pipes in the middle of the winter. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Cheryl Skinner, who is our warehouse uh, manager over here but she's also uh, involved in gardening quite a bit as a matter of fact she's got her own garden they finally fixing your where uh, your hothouse huh? my greenhouses are yeah. going up yes. that's good well I'm coming over and getting some snap beans <laughs> uh, oh yeah snap beans oh babe you ain't kidding. pound a pound of bacon you fry that because I got a big cast iron skillet fry down a pound of bacon and you eat it all except for about two strips that you break up and then fresh green beans small smother, smother onions and potatoes and fresh green beans down in that just a, just like a little garlic and a little salt and maybe maybe some cayenne pepper maybe you're making me hungry i know and a pork chop and a big glass of milk and leave me alone <laughs> yeah. all right so the uh the uh the pollinator gardens uh like i tell us telling you when i was a kid we had a garden it was 100 foot by 100 foot and uh, i grew some corn for boy scout corn growing <laughs> merit badge you know and uh i mean i had like six rows of corn and I got 60 bushels per per row. I got a lot. But every time it rained, I was out there with wettable seven spraying it, you mm -hmm. know, keeping the bugs away. And uh, anyway, uh, but we didn't have a pollinator garden. We just had the stuff we planted in the ground. What is a pollinator garden and what makes you choose what to go into that thing? So a pollinator garden, like it suggests, supports our pollinators, which are is an animal that transports pollen from one flower to the other, which leads in its fertilization or producing a seed. So um, the biggest pollinators are our bees. And when you think of bees, a lot of people just think of our honeybees, which aren't actually native. So one of the big things that I like to try and focus on is trying to um, educate people about our native bees. Um, uh, oh, wait, are the native bees those big ward, wood borer bees? Because yeah, they don't last long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need to with a tennis racket. Bing, bing, bing. They're one of uh, our, our eastern carpenter bees, but we have our bumblebees, but they're all different species of, of native bees. In fact, in Louisiana, we have over 200 native bee species just in Louisiana. Um, about 4,000 in the United States and about 20,000 worldwide. But they still do all the same thing. They do. They and they. The the reason they're such great pollinators is because they're the ones only actively collecting pollen to feed their young. 
And so they do a ton of work, even though they're such a small species. And a lot of people think that uh, most bees are, are colony nesters, like our honeybees, but they're not. 90% of our bees are actually solitary nesters, which means all the females reproduce and they only reproduce a small amount compared to our honeybees. So and they don't make honey, neither. They don't well, make honey. Well, good eye, man. I don't want <laughs> to... That's exactly... They're the ones that uh, pollinate uh, all, basically all the different types of foods. That well, we okay. Eat. So, but you, you're attracting these bees with the pollinator garden. So... I mean, it, but, but there are honeybees. I mean, I got friends who yeah. have... You know, mm -hmm. and they they'll have two or three hives mm -hmm. at the way at the back end of their garden, strictly to to pollinate and to get honey. Yep. How can I? Because I I can't I can't raise bees. Exactly. You know, and I that's, mean, that's where but I mean, I mean, how can I attract the other bees so that I have them there to pollinate? By creating these pollinator gardens. But I mean, I, you know, again, so, how so, do I know they're going to come? Well, we sh we we've illustrated that with these 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 pollinator gardens. I was the exact same way, just knowing she wanted to plant all these flowers, and it's like, okay, it's going to look beautiful. I I like flowers, but how is this going to help me? Totally surprised. But they but so they go from the pollinator garden out to the plants that are coming up out of the ground. Yes. But they got to flower first, those plants. Yes. You know? Yeah. So. so you're going to basically increase not only the number of bees, but also the different types of species. And by having a, a pollinator garden, like uh, we have lemon bee balm, spotted bee balm. We have um, different types of rose mallow, mm -hmm. milkweed. Uh, so we have all these different species. Milk of milkweed, those attract a lot of monarch, monarch butterflies. Yes. And those are pollinators too, mm -hmm. but not just not to the level the bees are. Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So um, we got this grant through U.S. Fish and Wildlife to help the monarch butterfly. So we planted three different species of native milkweed. Um, and they are, like, butterflies are pollinators, but they're not as efficient as bees because they don't actively collect the pollen. So, like Cheryl was saying, um, it's the kind of, if you build it, they will come. And we've we've illustrated that with these small gardens. And they're, as soon as you, you want to create, to create a garden that has a different flowering plant throughout the seasons. So you want early spring bloomers, you want summer bloomers, you want fall. And so that way you get the um, active the active bees basically all season long. And depending on the bee species, some bee species are only active in the spring, some in the summer, some in the fall. And so they're, they're going to follow your vegetable and fruit plants throughout the seasons as well. So you're going to have higher yields of your of your vegetable and fruit plants because you're you're offering this additional habitat for these native bees. So, so okay, so my, my cucumbers are doing pretty good because I, I went out. I don't even know how we did this, but before Katrina, I mean, my, our house, I, I just nailed a, a lattice work to the side. And I mean, in, in the St. Augustine grass, dug a hole, put in a plant. And I mean, we had to go out. I had cucumbers as big as my forearm, man. We had to go up and down the street, giving away after a while, people wouldn't answer the door. All these damn cucumbers. We should have gone to a farmer's market, but they looked mutant. They were so big. But we've had so much trouble since then. Like I would go out and uh, I'd go get a Q-tip and go find a male and I'd be I'd be bumblebeeing at my side. Maybe I should have wore some, a headpiece with some <laughs> springies. That might have worked a little bit better. But uh, I mean, okay. So so uh, you guys have a website that goes these flowers grow best in these areas and plant them this time or go to the Home Depot and buy the ones that are almost dead and then put this kind of food on them and then they'll get big. My wife is big on uh, on on flowers too. You know, yeah, but, so uh, if you go to our website, it's btnep.org. 
underneath our um, programs, you'll have a drop down menu and you'll see our pollinator program and we'll have a list of, of, of ways to attract pollinators and the different types of, of plants to attract. Oh, well, I mean, okay. So at our garden, the, the ones we deal with, Cheryl, I mean, the, it's like they're beds and right. like the bed in the middle is the pollinator garden. Mm -hmm. Like I was telling y'all before, I've got one narrow strip of light that runs along the side of my house and behind my house, you know, and it's like my, my melatonin. My melatonin is growing up and then we put something there for it to climb and now it's climbing around so it reaches the sun better. Uh, what would I, would I be better off like planting three or four different kinds of flowers between the uh, the plants that I'm trying to pollinate, or just still just stick it all in one place. Yeah, it depends on what kind of space that you have. I got. To look, I'm talking about four but, foot wide. Yeah, you could do little small, um, little subsets of gardens, or you could create a bigger. Yeah. They, and the bigger the flower, the better. The brighter the flower, the better. It, what? It all. It it depends. Uh, the best variety that you can get, um, the most diverse is better because different bees are attracted to different flower types. So mm -hmm. if you can get, you know, your tubular flowers or um, your sunflowers, or things all like that. Yeah. yeah, the more variety you have, the better. And the main thing you definitely want to try to do is try to get those spring bloomers and then the summer's bloomers and those fall bloomers to have that continuous bloom time. Okay. But, and that's what I mean. So we're also talking about. Uh, Annuals and not perennials. No, most of our gar most of our plants we have in our gardens is perennials. A few of them are annuals. I don't know how annuals work anyway because you can't collect any seeds. I mean, they just die. Where does the Home Depot get them from? You know? <laughs> it's like okay, once a year I got to go buy some more uh, some more of these flowers, and I'm I'm stuck on a word. It's 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 a flower my wife just loves to plant, and it's the, the ones in our garden in our in our flower box at the front window seems to keep coming back. Uh, Dog, you know, as soon as you leave, I'm gonna think of a name. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so okay, so I mean, and would it behoove me to like put these things farther up in the air? I, I wish I had a picture to show you how crappy my uh, my yard is that we're trying to grow stuff in. But uh, you know, I mean, would it put it higher up in the air? Or, I mean, do I want the I want the the bugs to not have to look too hard to find these flowers so that they'll come down? They'll they'll definitely find them. Yeah. Um. As long if you put them there, they will find them. I mean, even like a window box. Yeah. You know, they would go to that. Too. Everything help. Anything helps. You'd be surprised. Like I said, our gardens are not that big, and we've had, especially at the library. We have a um at the main library in Homa, that garden is doing extremely well and I saw at least 20 plus there's a native bee called the two-spotted longhorn bee the little black ones they were everywhere and I sent a picture to the show two-spotted longhorn long made bees. that up no that's what everybody says two-spotted longhorn <laughs> so it's got like it's antennas the, the are that male, much longer the males are yeah the males are longer there's even a blueberry bee yes. there's a bee that is a try a certain bee that only goes to blueberries and oh. same with squash there's yes. squash bees that are yes. um, I love squash uh, uh -huh, that are they're called especially them those those flying flying yeah. saucer ones you know oh, yeah. my, my mom used to smother those down oh god <laughs> or she put that in a in a pressure cooker with a bunch of uh bacon ends you know you got big fat ends of bacon things <laughs> yeah that's some good stuff yeah so they're called specialist bees bees that are attracted to certain uh types of species of plants mm -hmm. Um, that they collect only pollen from that family or that genus or species. They're called specialist bees. And like the blueberry bee and the squash bee. Yeah, I, I keep thinking though, because I'm telling you, my house, and we're almost out of time, 
but I got this huge oak tree that overhangs my house. Cause like when I had to get my, my roof fixed, I go, Oh, yeah. we'll go on, on, we'll go online and we'll look at the satellite. No, you ain't <laughs> not this house, not the next door neighbor's house. Neither. And this one, you can see half of their house. Yeah. It's huge. It's called the Kingfish Oak. It's the largest oak tree on the South shore outside of city park. Wow. So literally, I mean the, the trunk of the tree, is where you two are sitting from that wall to that wall to me. That's how big the trunk is. Wow. And y'all can't see that on the on the podcast, but it's that's a big <laughs> ass tree. <laughs> this tree drinks almost a hundred thousand gallons of water a year. Wow. That's a lot of water, baby. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So how can people find out more about you? More about all these stuff. Okay, where where's a website and a phone number and a brochure and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> so you can visit. The best way to go is our website btnep.org. Btnep, and that's why you call it Bitnep. Mm-hmm. Yes. By uh, Baritaria Terrebonne National Estuary Program dot org. Bitnep.org. Yes. That's, that's the best way. Yes. And we'll, and then you could um, not only learn about uh, all of our programs that we do, because we do a variety of different type of conservation programs, but we have our contact page, so you can contact any of us that work on there as well. Good enough. Mm-hmm. And Cheryl, I know where you are, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you do. The TCU Food Bank, babe, right down home. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. All right, wrapping it up right after this. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? The next time you have to travel, take along a couple of pounds of Parish coffee and you won't be missing New Orleans for long. Brewed right here in the land of coffee lovers, Parish Coffee has the taste you're looking for. From dark roast to coffee and chicory to flavored coffees like Bananas Foster or Bourbon Pecan, French Vanilla or King Cake or you name it, Parish Coffee has a flavor just right for you. Look for the bright purple bag in the coffee aisle of your favorite market or order it online, have it sent right to your door. What a perfect gift for any coffee aficionado. Sip the soul of New Orleans in every cup of Parish Coffee. Too much to do and too little time to do it? If you have too much on your plate to get a new license plate, go to ABC Title. We are scary fast. With six locations, there's bound to be an office close by. Go to abctitle.com to find the location nearest you.